Welcome to Kapwa Conversations, a podcast that amplifies the voices of Filipino, Philippinex folks in the health and wellness space. We use the indigenous wisdom of Kapwa, or shared inner self, to connect, inspire, and remember that we are all connected. If you enjoy this episode, please give us a five-star rating and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show and be in Kapwa together. You can also help spread the word by sharing today's episode on social media and tagging us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. Without any further ado, here's today's conversation. Hi. On today's episode, we have Marissa Tolero. Marissa is a compassion-focused therapist and certified yoga instructor at the 200-hour level. She runs a virtual private practice where she works with women and the LGBTQIA community to build awareness, skills, and a compassionate self. As a queer woman herself, she has a personal and professional understanding of what it means to hold these identities and uses this knowledge to care and support her clients. Marissa brings together a personalized yoga practice talk therapy, and guided meditation into every session she provides. She leads with compassion and her heart and works endlessly to create a virtual space of safety and ease. Marissa is originally from Berkeley, California, and recently relocated from the New York City area to Southern New Jersey. She'll be taking her practice on the road with her partner and her dog very soon. She also loves to read, write, and travel. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. Thank you. I'd love to hear a little more about your relationship with Filipino, Filipino ex-identity, and the health and wellness space. So with my identity, oh, what a complicated relationship (laughs) that is, as you know, it probably is for all of us. So my actual identity is that uh, my father is Filipino and he was born in Manila. Um, He came over to the States of California as a kid. Um, My mother is from Virginia here in the States. Um, She is of German, British descent, so she identifies as white. So I am mixed. I am half white, half Filipino. And really due to kind of that mixed race experience, it's been quite a journey. And I mean, I know even just the monoracial experience of being Philippine X is quite a journey as well. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's been a journey to connect with and fully identify with, and it's really developing beautifully, I'd say. And it's been such a touching experience to connect with the community as well as myself. And specifically with the health and wellness community, as you said in the intro, um, I am a licensed psychotherapist in New York state, and I'm also a yoga teacher and I've been uh, practicing therapy for about six or seven years now, kind of last count, um, and teaching yoga for almost two years now. So that's been more of a recent thing. And so 
the work that I do also, as you explained, is I, I bring the two together. I marry the two together and uh, I do individual sessions with women and LGBTQ folks uh, with my virtual private practice. So yeah, that's my connection to the health and wellness space. Yeah, and I think that's really unique. I haven't really seen anyone else who has both perspectives and has found a way to kind of naturally blend the two. I know for me, I'm just recently finished my yoga teacher training. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to talk therapy, I think it's only the past three or so years that I've um, opened, been opened to mm -hmm. that experience for myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've really seen the benefit of having both. So I wonder how you mm -hmm. see how that path came to be and maybe how you see the intersections of the two. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I... So I did competitive gymnastics when I was a kid for like 10 years or less than that, a, a long time. As a child, it's a very long time. So I was open to kind of the, the physical world uh, very early on. And that's how like my life started um, was just being very kind of using my body, using all of that. But it kind of led to, uh, you know, mental health stuff due to the pressure and uh, the stress of that, especially you know, developing and being a young kid and not really understanding competition and perfectionism and stuff like that, that is so present, especially in gymnastics. Um, so my parents, uh, who, you know, I'm so fortunate that I have parents who uh, were open to the idea of talk therapy and stuff like that. They actually brought me to therapy. I was eight years old. <laughs> um, so I, I did the whole play therapy thing and all that. And so I was in therapy for about 10 years. And for a very, very long time, I saw this woman like every week for about 10 years. And she really got me through, you know, those teen years um, until I was old enough to move out of my parents' home. And so that was this kind of big, huge introduction to therapy. And uh, so I kind of, you know, started, started life with this kind of destigmatized experience of therapy, which again, I'm very fortunate to have that experience. Um, and so I saw what my therapist did for me and I knew that I wanted to study psychology. Um, I didn't quite know yet that I actually also wanted to be a therapist that came later, but I knew I wanted to study psychology. So that came into play. And again, like my, the experience of working with my body and, uh, being, connected to it and knowing that that's a big part of my life and the way I move through the world had always been a presence in my life because of gymnastics. And I, I found yoga in my freshman year of college. Um, and basically it was love at first downward dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and so, yeah, like I, the two of them kind of, I still went to therapy later on a few years later, I went back to therapy. I was still practicing yoga. So I saw kind of the benefits of having these two things in my life. And these have kind of been the two, aside from like relationships and stuff like that, these two powerful forces in my life to help me get through all these hurdles and stuff like that. And they've been quite a constant for a while. Um, I haven't stopped practicing yoga since I was 18. So it's been about 13 years now. And um, so these two constants that are really about healing and you know, I, I saw the connection, but I also saw kind of their individual strengths as well. And I, like, I knew 
for a while that I wanted to eventually be certified and teach yoga and stuff. Um, but I, I still had this kind of, I guess it, it's its own type of stigma as well, mm. where I was like, you need to do like a traditional career that requires you to go get a degree and like stuff like that. So I, I mean, I pursued psychology therapy, stuff like that. And, um, it's, it was a little bit later that I was like, okay, now I have the time, the resources to go get certified as a yoga instructor. I've seen how powerful they are in my own life. Like now that I have these skills and qualifications, like what, what would it be like to bring the two together? So yeah, that's really <laughs> how, um, how that happened. Oh yeah. And I, we talked a little before we started, but I hear so many parallels to mm-hmm. my experience where mm. I started out, my movement practice was dance mm-hmm. and I did it through competitive hip hop. If you're not familiar, think America's Best Dance Crew mm-hmm. or um, yeah, Step Up, one of those. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's very competitive. It can be very physically demanding. Yeah. Um, there is a perfectionism and there also is a losing of your individuality in that mm-hmm. sense because the team is placed above the, the eye. Yeah. yeah. And for me, yeah, similar to you, um, yoga was really my stretch day. I, I only mm-hmm. thought of it for the, the, the physical benefits. And mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't until much later on that, you know, basically this year <laughs> that I thought mm-hmm. I could really invest in deepening into that practice. And mm-hmm. I think it's it's beautiful to hear that your parents were so progressive in that way of thinking yeah. that therapy can be an immediate option um, for a child without any stigma. I wonder, mm-hmm. yeah, have you ever maybe in thinking of it in your more recent years, talked to them about that decision or what their thoughts about it were? I'm especially interested with your dad who is mm-hmm. the Filipino side. If mm-hmm. maybe if he had any exposure to it in his generation or how he thought of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I haven't actually gotten to that point yet where I've had that conversation with them. I'm actually going to be kind of embarking on this journey slash project of interviewing both of them. And so I know that that is definitely going to come up and that's something that I do want to talk to them about. I do know from personal experience, from witnessing it all as a kid, my sister uh, was born with physical and developmental disabilities. And so from as long as I can remember, she was always going to different types of therapies uh, quite frequently, whether it was speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, like all these different types of therapies. And also with that was talk therapy as well. And so I do think that um, I'm still I'm still on the journey of understanding their perspective of therapy, like pre us, you know, pre kids. Mm-hmm. But I do think like having my older sister, she's a few years older, you know, having to use these resources and seeing that they were beneficial and positive and supportive, um, that that really kind of paved the path uh, for it to. I mean, for not just for them to be open to it, but for it to even occur to them as an option. So, yeah, yeah I, I I do know that that probably played a big role. 
Yeah, and I'm looking forward for your self-discovery journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm excited too. <laughs> yeah, and hopefully maybe when we reconnect after maybe the episode is out, maybe, yeah, we can see what's come from there, yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Was there a moment for you, having had the talk therapy experience and yoga experience as a student of the practice where there was a shift where you knew that you wanted to be the person providing that for others? Yeah, yeah. I I was thinking about that. And a lot of decisions, I think, you know, are kind of a series of moments, you know, that, that happen and build on top of each other. But there was this moment, moment particularly with yoga, because like, obviously with talk therapy and having had so much experience with it, and the moment I'm talking about, it's like I was just finishing my master's program and starting to practice therapy. So I like I you know you know very well the the benefits that therapy has for mental health. I had known the physical benefits of yoga. I'd been practicing for a while. So I actually started going to a yoga studio in Harlem, um, like literally every day. I think it was more than like 30 days that I went every single day, and it was kind of like part of. Uh, finding myself, discovering myself, uh, you know, on my own and, you know, this whole healing process. And so like with that, I was like, why am I going to yoga every day? You know, like it's not that I need to work out every day, anything like that. And I, it started to kind of, you know, the the gears started to crank and I realized, oh, because it's actually helping my mental health too. Mm. You know, it's making me slow down and be more present and like be aware. And giving me a space to to process it, not just like in a verbal way, but just in my own physicality. There was kind of that realization that yoga can actually help mental health as well. Um, and then in the idea of combining the two of them together, I worked at a college counseling center in Queens for several years. And there was this program that we started for LGBTQ students there. And the center I worked at um, was very kind of holistic health and wellness uh, oriented. So we we offered all these kind of other workshops and stuff that wasn't just uh, talk therapy. And so we offered this program to that student community where we essentially combined like support groups with these different kind of uh, other holistic workshops. So there, there was like meditation, Tai Chi. Mm. We even talked about like, healthy eating and healthy cooking. And there was a yoga one. And that one like really stood out to me, obviously, because, you know, I had been doing talk therapy, practicing yoga. But there is this experience of like people, the group doing yoga, and everyone's like on the mat. And then the facilitator who was like teaching the yoga class, we all stopped the practice. And like, everyone was just so much more open and, you know, we, we didn't get up and get into chairs where we're all in a circle, like a typical support group. We stayed on our mats and we had this really beautiful uh, connection. And so that happened several times because we ran this program for a while. And so I think that's really with that program, I saw visibly like and logistically what it would look like to combine, you know, literally yoga and kind of this talk mm. uh, therapy experience and bringing the two together and how yoga can help, you know, build trust and safety and openness and stuff like that. And, you know, like the symbiotic relationship uh, between the two. 
Yeah, I can really visualize it in my head and it sounds really nice. It feels yeah. like I would want to do that right now. Yeah, and, and that's what is essentially what I do now. And that's like really what inspired me to do is, you know, I'll, I open my sessions as you know, you were saying, I open my sessions with this like tailored yoga practice. So I'm always taking into account like the person, what their, their needs are, their experiences, their goals specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tailor this yoga practice to them and, you know, the sessions are about an hour long. So we do it 20 minutes or so. So nothing too long or crazy. Um, and then, you know, we kind of just, I always stay on the mat. Like I live on the floor, like most of my life now <laughs> living on the <laughs> yoga mat, but, um, you know, I stay on the yoga mat and, uh, sometimes they'll hop into their couch, you know, it's all virtual and, their, you know, their comfy space where they want to talk. And uh, yeah, so I, I get to see that on like an individual basis uh, in the work that I do now. And to me, it sounds like it probably was an easy transition with everything that happened going virtual because mm -hmm. you're already in home, you have this security and yeah, it just feels like a nurturing environment to have this kind of practice. Yeah, I had, I really like lucked out with timing because I had left my day job at the counseling center last September Mm. um, with the intention of, you know, building this practice. So it's been about a year now that I've been doing this and with it specifically being virtual and the virtual piece is because definitely because of kind of the cost of rental space in New York. And I didn't want to have to like, you know, relay that onto the client. but also because I knew that my my partner and I have had plans for a while to kind of travel and to move and stuff. And so if I can go ahead and kind of build this thing up virtually, take that with us. But so, yeah, you know, when March came around, it wasn't a huge uh, kind of shift or learning curve. So I was, you know, again, very fortunate that um, I would kind of already been able to establish a virtual uh, work at that point. Yeah, and I'm curious to see what the intake process looks like when someone starts working with you or Mm. if maybe your client has a different expectation maybe coming into the class, but then you see something else presenting itself that maybe Mm. needs working on. That all sounds Mm. very interesting to me. A lot of that is kind of skills that I had already been working on as just a talk therapist, uh, because even even though I hadn't had the yoga stuff kind of added to my sessions at that point, you know, there's still been this experience of, you know, someone maybe is new to therapy for the first time. And you know, maybe there's things that uh, they didn't expect or didn't really, you know, things that that come up. And so that's still kind of like working through that and working specifically with the client. And like, that's, that's my thing too, is like just being super like collaborative about it. Like I don't come in as like the expert. I'm not like this person that's like telling you what to do and all this stuff. I always offer like a complimentary consultation intake session uh, where we really talk about uh, kind of their experience and their goals and, and those expectations. And I, you know, I answer all the questions, all the concerns that they might have about it. So they'll, they'll talk to me about like what they're expecting out of kind of this yoga 
plus I call it yoga plus therapy. I can't, I don't call it yoga therapy because Mm -hmm. that's like its own certification, which, you know, I'm sure you've probably heard of it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not, I'm not a yoga therapist. So I call it like yoga plus therapy. I call myself a yogi therapist. Um, but so far, you know, the way that I choose to kind of market and like put myself out there for prospective clients is that I'm just, I'm very like transparent. Like this is what the sessions look like. And again, in those consultations, in those intakes, uh, you know, that's where someone might be like, you know, I have zero experience with yoga and I kind of have this view of it of being kind of woo woo and like hippy dippy (laughs) stuff like that or something. (laughs) And so, you know, and so, like I said, I kind of, I'll personalize the practice. So it feels more accessible to them. And, you know, there's, there's plenty of times just, you, you know, even just as like a yoga teacher, not just specific to this context that, you know, you might be doing a pose or something and it feels like really wonky to them. It feels mm. really off. It feels really wrong. Um, and so, like you said, like maybe, uh, there is, you know, a certain chakra or a space that's kind of being like touched on. And, uh, I haven't had an experience so much where we've had to full on kind of end the practice, but we will like, we're constantly touching base, you know, I'm guiding, but because this is one-on-one, like, you know, it is a a back and forth. It's a two-way street, um, even during the practice, but you know, that's where that space afterwards, as well as we do, we don't just kind of jump into, okay, like, okay, now update me about your week. Like I spend that time uh, also processing what that specific practice was like. And I do, because, you know, I work with women and the LGBTQ community, um, there's definitely a lot of folks with trauma and stuff. And so that's always something that uh, I'm aware of. And if they've had a specific type of trauma, then I may avoid specific types of poses um, that may trigger them. Or specifically, if they say that they kind of want to start practicing those poses in a safe way and in a safe space, uh, we might, you know, kind of introduce that gently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. We just had someone on the show prior who was teaching trauma informed yoga. Mm-hmm. And I really mm-hmm. think, yeah, after hearing his explanation of it, I really think that yeah. that should just be the default of how, how it's yeah. done. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I feel like that should just be like, I mean, I know there's only 200 hours at the base level, but it should be like part of it as well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so much of that that we carry in our bodies. I wonder, have you had many Filipino, Filipinx clients and have you noticed any trauma that might be tied to that identity, that experience that you can share? Um. So I do have a few Philippine ex clients who sought me out because they knew that that's how I'll identify. Um, in terms of the yoga and the mental health stuff, I think a, a lot of the stuff that comes up is this kind of intergenerational trauma. Um, you know, these things that we kind of learned from our parents. That's very much you know, focused on kind of survival, uh, you know, kind of keeping your head down and just like doing the work and not really questioning anything and just like doing what you have to do to survive. Cause for a lot of us, that's what our parents had to do. And 
this kind of new generation where, you know, we find ourselves, uh, you know, because of all the hard work of our parents in uh, having these kind of different opportunities to do more introspection and kind of along with that, as beautiful that as that is, it's also kind of, we're really also feeling the effects of all, all these generations of trauma and colonialism and all this stuff. Um, and being so uh, heightened and aware of it as well. And yeah, I mean, it it definitely shows up um, in the therapy space and in the yoga space, uh, you know, whether it's talking about family and conflict with family, uh, conflict with relationships, identity, like queer identities, mm-hmm. Um or, you know, work and career and like how to, uh, you know, interact in those spaces, community, isolation. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you, like, you can't separate those identities from someone's experience. And so I think any, any one of these things uh, that these people, these folks present with and, and bring to the space not to say that it's all because of, you know, racial identity, but, but race is always a part of all of our experiences. Yeah. I mean, the thing that comes to mind is this idea of entanglement that Mm. we are not only intertwined by the different identities that we have, but we have also been entangled from ancestors and generations of these complexities. Like, even with just with the Filipino identity, there's 400 years of colonialism that yeah. has entangled generations of different identities, different different ways of looking at what it means to be of that of that experience, and then mm-hmm. presenting itself in this current moment with mm-hmm. ideas like colorism or a scarcity mindset or things yeah. like that. Yeah. 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 It is. It is. And I, I, I do think we're at this, this point where we're really coming to a head with it. Not, not to say our ancestors didn't come to a head literally and you know spiritually, <laughs> mentally, all that as well. But yeah, we're definitely, I think, feeling all of those, uh, centuries of it as well. Yeah. Have, has any of those kind of identity-based issues or themes shown up for you in your journey of of navigating this, what seems to me as a very innovative, groundbreaking type of career and mixing of, of different um, modalities? Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. <laughs> um, yes, definitely. You know, like, you know, like I was saying about folks that I work with, it's true for myself as well, is that like, I can't, I can't disentangle, to use your term, <laughs> I can't disentangle, you know, my racial identity, my ethnic identity with everything that I do, like whether it's just walking into Starbucks or, you know, walking into a therapy space and being a therapist or also being a client of therapy as well, specifically, you know, talking about uh, work and yoga and therapy. Those are, at least here in the States, very white spaces. Um, you know, th- like the history of therapy has predominantly been defined by white men. And with yoga, you know, it is 
ironic because it obviously comes from India, but as you know, it came here and kind of it's become a very uh, white uh, activity here. Um, and so, yeah, like I've definitely, in terms of my specific identity and how that has affected kind of these professions, specifically being mixed, I think has uh, mm. had a huge impact in that way. And specifically those particular identities that I have being white and being Filipina specifically. And that's because I, I don't necessarily, you know, fit into white spaces. Although of course there's times that I will pass as white. And then I don't necessarily always fit into like POC spaces. And although there's plenty of times that I pass as, you know, a person of color. And so when I think about, you know, who there's been times where I consider, you know, like, who do I want to work with? Who do I want to like offer my services to? Which is always something that, you know, uh, anyone who's kind of offering a service is encouraged to, to think about and like what your passion is and stuff. There's been a lot of times where I've dealt with kind of this recurring imposter syndrome of, you know, like I, I love working with folks of color and the queer community and queer people of color and stuff like that but haven't felt necessarily like, well, what if they're like, who is this white lady talking to me, you know? Um, or if I'm coming across as like, I'm this like white therapist and stuff like that um, and, and vice versa, you know? And so kind of walking that line of like privilege, but also oppression that, you know, changes like literally minute by minute, depending on what space I am, I'm in, has uh, kind of impacted in that way as well. But it's, you know, it, it's it's something that I've, been working through and it's part of my reality and there's things from that that I have I've been able to see it as you know this beautiful positive thing and take actually like skills from that and to use that to to help people yeah yeah I can see that whole double-edged sword <laughs> yeah, <seeing> yeah. <laughs> depending yeah. on what what's yeah what space you're coming into right 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 now, given the time that we're in, do you see uh, any trends that are that you think might happen in the future, given that we're all at at the time of this recording quarantined and we have this forced pause? Mm -hmm. There's this opportunity, I, I think, for people to be a little more introspective or be mm -hmm. receptive to hearing other people's voices, maybe even their own families' journeys and, and stories yeah. and race stories. Yeah, I wonder if you feel that impact and how it might have an effect in the future of your your career, your profession. I, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely think that there is no going back <laughs> to kind of the status quo as it was before. It's just been, you know, at this point, it's just been too uh, kind of prolonged of this experience that, you know, all of us are going to remember this for the rest of our lives. And it's going to have all these kind of domino effects that we obviously don't know yet. But in terms of mental health, uh, absolutely. You know, I think that for one, I mean, people are, like you said, people are pausing and having to sit still and kind of really, you know, things are opening up now but you know especially you know in new york everyone is constantly go 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 and a lot of 
the capacity, the mental capacity is spent thinking about work and uh, like status and money and, and stuff like that. And I think that it's really caused a lot of us to kind of face these things that maybe we weren't prepared to face or have kind of been underlined the whole time. And on, on the positive side of that, though, I think that because people are so connected and uh, people are, you know, accessing, able to access like social media and YouTube and all these kind of resources online, people also are seeing therapy as an option and see with the accessibility mm. of like online therapy and virtual therapy um, and with some, you know, being low cost and virtually free and stuff like that. Um, I think that, you know, people are, I think we're going to see more people uh, accessing therapy and being more building this kind of awareness of, you know, getting in, in touch with themselves uh, because of this forced pause. And I, I do think it, it, it transfers to every part of folks' lives, like including, you know, thinking about like their family. And I know that that's happened for me as well. Like I have been very kind of caught up in, you know, business and yoga and therapy and certifications and, you know, things like that. Cause that's, you know, that's just, that's our culture. Like, yeah. That's that what grind we do. Culture. Yeah. yeah. That capitalistic culture. <laughs> like that's what we do. Yeah. That's what we're taught to do. And so having this forced pause, it's like, I realized how much I miss my family, you know, and like the things that I really want out of life, which is actually part of like why we're moving and like going on this journey. But yeah, I think it's forcing people to see what's really important to them. And there might be a lot of reckoning with that and reconciling, um, grieving, uh, but also this kind of uh, growth, you know, and this, this work that will come out of it. So that's kind of very kind of vaguely, yeah. <laughs> you know, what I see happening. Yeah. I mean, it is a very vague, uncertain yeah, time. It so is, it is. <laughs> that yeah. sounds very clear to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know for me, I'm just drawing on my experience. I mean, right now I'm back in my place in New York, but for mm -hmm. two or so months, I was quarantined with my mom in South mm -hmm. Jersey. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I found that experience to be a plethora of things, but I think yeah. the positive of it was that we got to hear, or maybe it's more so me hearing her story, mm. reflecting on her journey to America and even the generations yeah. of my grandparents and yeah, just getting to hear things that we normally wouldn't because, mm -hmm. you know, for many reasons, I don't go as home as often and yeah. We don't really talk about these deeper type of things. I mean, there were a lot of conversations that came up that were that were um, bringing up trauma and and trying to process intergenerational trauma, which I think yeah. was beautiful. There mm -hmm. wouldn't have been an opportunity for that other than everything. I mean, you know, everything right. that has happened. Yeah. Right. I mean, I've had this idea about interviewing my parents for a while, and they're still in California. They're still in Berkeley, actually. Uh, so my relationship with them right now is uh, entirely over FaceTime and <laughs> video calls and stuff like that. But, you know, like instead of talking them them like every other week or something like that, I talk to them at least weekly. And, uh, and again, because like we're saying, having this, this pause, but also 
trying to look at it as like space to uh, connect and like think about all this stuff, I realized like how much I have missed out on like hearing their stories and really seeing them as these full uh complete people who have this like whole life and history before I came around um and so wanting to learn more about what all that was and how it led to you know where we are now and if there's someone who maybe is listening to this now and in their moment of pause they're (laughs) listening to this and they want to explore Mm-hmm. an aspect or this this journey that you are on what mm-hmm. advice would you give for somebody who's maybe taking that first step advice that i always like to give is to try to practice being present um you know i you know mindfulness and meditation it is uh these are kind of buzzwords now but there's a reason for that you know as people you know they've been around for thousands of years and uh you know people are connecting that with kind of the modern way that we move through the world and seeing how uh beneficial that can be and just in my experience with therapy and uh with yoga and this kind of a lot of disconnection i think that people have with their bodies has to do with constantly either kind of being in the past or being in the future. You know, this kind of trauma and like all these things that, you know, there hasn't been space to grieve and to process from the past. And we know, which makes sense, you know, it makes sense. Like we all of us have this stuff that, you know, we're not really taught how to process it. Um, and so we're just, you know, carrying it around with us and it affects us in, in the present. And then also kind of this anxiety that most of us live with about the future and worries about that, which is, um, again, kind of relates back to the capitalistic culture we live in. But also, I think something that was very much uh, also just kind of taught through different generations is like you're always you're working for the future, you know, working for stability and safety and stuff like that, which again, it, it all makes sense. But if we can practice those skills and it is like, it's a hard concrete skill to, to be present and to access, you know, like all of those things, the past and the future and how that's affecting us in the moment, then we can kind of build that knowledge and build that awareness of ourselves and, like just be more in tune with that and start maybe working through some of that stuff as well. I also like another thing that is, I always encourage is to always be a student, you know, whether you want to become a therapist or a yoga teacher yourself. Um, I, there's been times where I get like daunted by the sheer amount and well of information that there is to yoga and that there is to therapy. And I'm actually super excited. I'm starting, um, a virtual 300 hour training. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so excited for it. Um, actually at the end of this month. And so it's really cool cause it's international. It's based in England. So like I'll get oh. to kind of meet people around the world and we're all doing it online and stuff like that. So that'll be a cool and also very interesting experience. Um, but I think that that was a big learning process for me. And I I can like connect it all the way back to gymnastics where, you know, you're taught to be perfect. You're 
taught to be, you know, uh, you know, an expert and like the best and all this stuff. And there were times where I found that mentality kind of working its way into being a therapist, into being a yoga teacher and not, you know, that's like literally impossible to be obviously. And it, you know, it didn't, it doesn't come out in like a great way because I'm on top of that. I never feel like, and that's the whole imposter syndrome, Mm, right? It's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm supposed to be the expert in the room right now, but I'm not. (laughs) But then it's like this kind of connection of like, yeah, I'm not. (laughs) And that's okay. Because I am always I'm learning from my clients constantly, like they inspire me constantly. And they teach me so much. And so like this idea of like always being a student. And again, you know, I'm fortunate that like, because I am running my own practice, I can kind of build time in to do, uh, you know, to read the books about, you know, therapy and identity and yoga and like all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think that's an important mentality to maintain is that we're a student of ourselves, we're a student of the world and whatever, you know, whatever industry uh, you're in. I feel like every week there is a lesson that we are forced to to learn. Right. Yeah. And are we going to be there to really take in and receive. And I think right. your practice helps people give them the, the tools to really fully absorb what that lesson is. Right. And I, and going back to what I said about being present as well, like being being present enough to, to be open and receive, like you're saying. Um, and that reminded me like that another piece of advice that I, I think is super important, especially... Um, for folks of color, for queer folks, for for women, um, anyone who's ex- who who has like a marginalized identity is like in this pursuit, like always do what you need to do to feel safe, because there has been plenty of times, uh, especially as I was a warning therapist specifically, where I felt like maybe I was kind of pushed into situations because of kind of outside forces. Um, you know, by, by other white therapists, you know, or, or folks who may not understand what I'm bringing into the room as well and how that can affect someone else that I'm working with. Maybe I got triggered and that has definitely happened. And I've had to learn from that experience and do what I have to do. Um, so I'm always thinking and able to be there a hundred percent for the client. So yeah, it's like, Again, going back to this idea of, you know, we're, we're very much taught in this generation to kind of go, go, go and like, you know, get the degrees, get the job, get the promotion, all that stuff. It can be easy to focus on that. And again, kind of lose yourself, lose the connection with your body and uh, kind of forget that it's still important for us to feel safe. Um, and that our needs are important and that those need to be met as well, like as we go through this whole process. And I hope people who are listening to this now also take, yeah, take that moment and maybe feel how your words are, are resonating with them. Because I know for me, just hearing that piece really makes me think of how much better we could listen to our bodies in that moment because there's a lot of information that is being given to us. And sometimes we're not, we're not receiving it or we don't know how to 
process it. And our reaction is to push forward capitalism, mm-hmm. work mm-hmm. through the pain, yeah. we'll deal with it later when we have time, but we're going to sleep yeah. in our debt so we never have time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just to take it, you know, and that our, like, the processing of that trauma and that pain is like, you know, that's not important, you know, like that's not what we need to be spending our time on. Um, and that's just these kind of wounds that we have to just keep taking and just kind of deal with. Um, but that doesn't have to be the reality anymore. As we wrap the episode up, is there, before we get into our final couple of questions, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you'd like to bring to the conversation? I would just say, uh, you know, I I am a compassion-focused therapist, and that is a type of therapy. Uh, you know, anyone who has gone to therapy or, um, you know, been exposed to therapy in some way may be aware that there's kind of all these different types of therapies, and a therapist may or may not choose to kind of identify with a particular type of therapy, you know, there's cognitive behavioral therapy, there's all, all these different kind of mm-hmm. things. And for me, I found within my own uh, pursuit of a therapy, uh, as a therapist, I found compassion focused therapy and just felt like it aligned the most with my values and just who I am as a, a person. And so kind of just like, like I work with people, I also do this with myself is to it's to work on this idea of kind of a compassionate self and developing this compassionate voice. Um, because I do think that a lot of us connecting to a lot of this conversation today have this voice that is very critical and very harsh. And again, we've, we've been taught that that's kind of, that's a way to stay motivated, you know, kind of like that really harsh, I mean, gymnastics coach, stands coach. <laughs> so yeah, any other athletes or anyone really who's ha- kind of had that kind of figure in their life knows exactly whether it's a parent or someone else knows exactly what we're talking about. Um, yeah, this kind of harsh critical voice that's like, you know, get up, like, you know, don't cry, like move on, move forward, 20 push ups, whatever, <laughs> you know, that, that we are allowed to address that voice and start to practice replacing it with a more compassionate voice. And a lot of the times when I first kind of start talking about this, there's kind of this reaction of like, oh, like that, that again, it sounds very kind of like hippy dippy and, you know, uh, vague and stuff. But when you think about it logically, you know, if you're talking to a friend or someone that you love, if you try to motivate them and help them through kind of this warm, loving encouraging voice like it actually is going to be more effective uh in the long run so not only will you feel better because you're not like having this internal voice of like criticism you're not good enough you're ugly like all these things you're not successful that motivates us to a point but it's not sustainable and so if we start developing this more kind of compassionate self and compassionate voice it's sustainable it's more effective and it, it feels a lot better on the body and the soul and the mind. So I guess that's kind of like the last piece that I wanted to to add. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, yeah. the thing that I'm thinking of is the idea of mirrors that each pe- each person that you interact with 
it's really the way you interact with them is they're holding a mirror to yourself. And, Absolutely. you know, you give someone, you treat somebody with patience so that in turn, you're allowing mm-hmm. yourself to be patient with yourself. So we like to end the show with three questions. Okay. Um, you haven't heard them before. So, so the first one is, what is your favorite Filipino word? It can you know any of the dialects what is it and and what meaning does it have for you so that's I know you said that's kind of the one word answer (laughs) but for me it's a little it's more complicated because I wasn't um uh actually taught to Gaulig um so a lot of the the words that I've been learning the last few years is more kind of in this study that I've been doing in my adult life and I mean, definitely right now, it's this idea of uh, Kumare and uh, connection and and family and community. And I, when I think of that word, I think of a Kumare circle, which doing a shout out to entrepreneurship is how I've really gotten connected with other Filipino women. Um, and I had, I, I attended my first Kumare circle earlier this year, like pretty much right before COVID hit New York. Um, in like, I went to the Lower East Side and Anna Marie had come out and like hosted us. And I met all these beautiful, beautiful entrepreneurs. So yeah, that really stands out to me. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful, can you say the word again? Kumari. Kumari. I haven't heard yeah. of that K-U-M-A-R-E. K-U-M-A-R-E. Hmm. Always learning. Yeah. I like that <laughs> yes. Always be learning. A-B-L. Yes. <laughs> We're tying in all the lessons. Today. I know, right? <laughs> Full circle. Full circle. Uh, and then the name of the show is Kapwa Conversation. So mm. Kapwa is a Tagalog word that means shared inner self. It's the indigenous wisdom of interconnectedness that is mm-hmm. in our Filipino heritage. And I wonder how Kapwa is showing up for you these days. Yeah, I mean, I think I've kind of been talking about a little bit throughout practice, but I think really realizing what just my values are and my my purpose and kind of connecting to it because you know, in my 20s, it was, you know, very much focused on career and stuff like that. And while, of course, it's important to be able to sustain yourself and take care of yourself, um, I'm coming around, uh, I think it's, you know, a phase of life thing, but I I definitely think it's a COVID thing. Um, It's just realizing those things that are really important. And so for me, it's very much people in my life and my family um, and, and seeing and experiencing myself as not just this singular individual in this, like the silo in this period of time. Um, but as, you know, I read and learn more about like the, the Philippinex history and stuff like that, like seeing that connection over the generations, learning more about my family and kind of feeling, you know, the English words don't always do it justice but I think like you said Kapwa is probably more appropriate yeah. this this Kapwa with ancestors and our our history um, and stuff like that and it's still very much developing <laughs> that's beautiful and it, this might be related to the last question is what is the biggest lesson that you're learning at this time the biggest lesson is kind of 
the embodiment of a lot of what I've been talking about. Because I think especially when you pursue any career, there's a, a, a big beginning part of it is like the learning, the knowledge, and it's very intellectualizing, but that's, that's not a bad thing. Like that's necessary. You know, it, it lays the foundation. Um, and so, you know, I'm able to kind of intellectually and clinically, you know, as a therapist, talk about these concepts like even with you it's like I'm, I'm able to have this conversation and you know talk about these things with clients with uh friends whoever but it's it's one thing to to intellectually understand it but also another to fully like feel it and experience uh all these different lessons and these different learnings that I you know I'll talk about every day but I I have been on that journey of like what all of that feels like um, in my spirit and in my body. It's important (laughs) to hear from somebody who's facilitating that from others, because you don't always get to hear that person saying, Hey, I'm a human too. And I have to also work through these different themes in in my Mm -hmm. life. So Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you have a compassion perspective so that you can show compassion mm-hmm. for yourself. Too. Yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. That's great. And if people want to continue to engage with you, how can people contact you after today's episode? Yeah, thank you. Um, so I'm on Instagram as Marissa, the yogi therapist. As I said, it's not yoga therapist, yogi therapist. Um, and then I have my website, uh, which is marissatolero.com. So it's just my name. And so if someone is interested in working with me or has questions, wants to schedule a consultation, or just wants to connect, they can go to the website. And then uh, aside from Instagram, kind of my other social media is really all my website. So yeah, so marissatolero.com and then uh, Marissa the Yogi Therapist on Instagram. Thank you so much for being on the show. And yeah, I look forward to hearing your journey with your parents and yeah, how things unfold, you know, in the coming months. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a beautiful conversation. And that was today's episode. Thank you so much to Marissa for joining the conversation. All the info mentioned for her Instagram and website will be included in the show notes. If you like what you heard and feel called to connect further, subscribe, leave a five-star review for the podcast, and follow us on Instagram at kapwa.yoga. We host an IG Live after show the Monday after the episode is released, and it's a great way for you to be involved in the conversation with us. We've also just recently joined Clubhouse, an audio-based social platform. You can connect with us there at Kapwa Convos with a K, and we can be in conversation there. This podcast is a part of Kapwa Yoga, a movement and mindfulness practice that integrates my background in dance, yoga, and organizational psychology. You can check out our website at www.kapwa.yoga to find out more about our services. A special thank you to Uga for the theme song and episode production. You can connect with him on Instagram at uga.xyz. Thank you for listening. 
maraming salamat and catch you on the next conversation.